Stephanie. As uh, Stephanie is mentioning um, giving uh, to the church, thank you for your uh, generosity and thank you to all of you who were involved in Hypo Week. Uh, we were able to provide uh, not housing this year. Hopefully we'll be able to do that again next year, but we were able to provide food for people who uh, don't have a home. And uh, many of you pitched in and uh, Chris Piper in particular, thank you for spearheading that. We appreciate that very much. If you follow the international news, you are aware that in February, there was a military coup in Myanmar, which is also known as Burma. Uh, at that time, the um, uh, military leaders of the country took power and uh, removed uh, democratically elected uh, leaders. What you may not know is that a member of our church, David, uh, he uh, lives, actually lives with Leslie and me uh, part of the year. And then part of the year, he's uh, in Myanmar and he's there right now. Yesterday, uh, we were able to uh, speak with him. The Men's Simeon Trust Group, we were able to, to have a FaceTime with him and get an update from him. And I want to just give you a brief update. And I want to take a moment this morning then to pray for him and for the church there and for that country. He communicated with us that uh, many uh, people are protesting uh, out on the streets. There are thousands and thousands of people in, in, in many cities. Uh, they've been protesting nonviolently. It's beginning. Uh, there, there are a number that have been uh, killed by the military. The Christians there are very concerned about what's happening because this uh, group of people was in power previously and there was a lot of persecution aimed at Christians during that time. I actually happened to be there working with him during uh, some, some of that time and saw that firsthand. There were restrictions on evangelism and conferences and travel and, and uh, dangers of imprisonment and so on. People have been resisting uh, this, this unlawful change, but they're getting tired. It's been three weeks with banks closed and uh, not much food available. Uh, and and um, so David just asked if we could be praying for the safety of missionaries, for uh, a return to democracy. Uh, for the ministry there to be able to, to get the school open again, which is a combination of what's going on politically, but also with COVID stuff, and to be able to continue to train the, uh, the, the workers uh, for the ministry work that they're doing throughout the country. So would you join me now as we pray? And you see uh, Myanmar there surrounded by India, China, Thailand. It's, it's uh, in a strategic place in the world. There are a lot of different groups of people there and many people who've never heard the gospel there. So let's take a moment and pray for this country. Oh, Father, we lift up on this Lord's Day. We lift up our brother, David. We lift up the brothers and sisters of, of that family of churches and we lift up the body of Christ in Myanmar. We pray that they would not lose heart. We pray they would be of good courage. We pray that you would open the eyes of their hearts that they might see Christ. Father, we pray that you would bring help to this nation. We pray for the international community to uh, do what is possible to uh, restore peace that's been lost, freedoms that have been eroded, justice to bring these elected leaders back into power. Oh God, we know that you're the God who at the Red Sea made a way. You're the God who in the desert you provided bread. We pray for your people in this country. We pray that you would provide what is needed today. We pray that you would bring revival during this time of chaos. We pray that you would turn what's meant for evil to the good of your name, your glory, your purposes, and your kingdom. 
And we entrust that nation to you and pray that uh, you would be glorified there and that you would sustain our dear brother David. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thanks. Well, as um, Stephanie was mentioning the hope of people being able to uh, get back together again, the scripture this morning is going to be read by Don Opie, and Don's back for the first time. It's great to have you back in person, Don. And we're in 2 Corinthians, and she's going to read chapter 5, verses 1 to 10 for us this morning. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 10. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. Sorry. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us for this very thing is God, who has given us his spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that when we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Thank you, Don. Let's pray. Oh God, I, I simply want to pray what we just sang. There is before us in these words, life, light, bread, hope, glory. It's possible for us to come to these words and, and receive none of that. We need you. Holy Spirit, fill us and open the eyes of our hearts. Let us see the glory of Christ, the hope of the resurrection. Let us then live with courage here and now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Verse 8 says, We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now what you just heard me say is about as bizarre and strange and countercultural to our world as anything anyone could say. Think about, think about this. It would be better to leave behind everything in this life and go to a life beyond to be with the Lord. Everything about this life, somewhere else with the Lord, you pick that. Really? Just slow down. If you're, if you're in church and comfortable with that and you're comfortable with hearing things like this, just, just slow down and and consider how strange this is in the world in which we live. Someone just told you he would rather trade in everything about this life, his body, and all that's available to him if he could only be with Jesus. Now, where else in your week did you hear this? Like, 
anyone's briefing at the Department of Defense end with, and don't forget the best is yet to come when we're with Jesus. Anybody's meeting end that way? How about, did your favorite news outlet, where do you go for news? Is it Reddit or Fox or CNN or BBC, wherever? Did anybody remind you there this week, hey, and don't forget, nothing here is nearly as good as it will be when you get to be with the Lord? Like, anybody remind you of that out there in those places? How about when you were shopping? Amazon, Walmart, Giant, wherever you're doing your shopping, did they, at checkout, did anyone mention, hey, by the way, don't forget, all this stuff that you're buying, it's just temporary and passing away. What's really important is the unseen eternal stuff in the life beyond the grave. Anybody just kind of happen to remind you of that on your way through? Or when you were at the gym, did anybody mention that your body is no better than a leaky tent and what you really should have is a resurrection body built by God? lasting forever. Any, anybody bring that up? See, we live in a world, <laughs> this is crazy talk. We live in a world dominated by live for today, live for yourself. If that's what you live for, this is bizarro stuff. This is craziness. So I want to ask you, just slow down. Hear this. Would you really rather leave all of this and go home to be with the Lord. Take a moment. Let that sink in. How would you honestly answer that question today? And I suspect that there are some who are saying, yeah, let's go. It's ready yesterday. Let's go. Others who are saying, no way. That is crazy talk. There's way too much I want to see and do here. I, I couldn't even imagine anybody thinking that way. And there's probably some of us, and I, I find myself often in this place, might be thinking, you know, you know I, I know I should be able to say that. I, I want to be able to say that. But honestly, there, there's a lot that, I, that I, I still have that I want to see and do while I'm here. This passage of Scripture, this is God's voice. Can you hear him? God is here to persuade you that Jesus is so spectacular and so glorious and so amazing that it really would be better to leave everything here if you could be with him. The best really isn't here. It really is yet to come. That's what God wants to persuade us of this morning. And if that's not where you find yourself this morning, this passage can be a gift to reorient your affections, your desires, your heart, to tilt the scales decisively in the direction of, I'd rather have Christ than anything else. So today I want to just point us to two reasons why it's better to leave all this behind Go home and be with the Lord. And then I want to ask, if we really believe this, what difference will it make here and now as we live out our lives here? Why is it better to leave all this behind and be home with the Lord? Reason number one is to live in a resurrection body. I want you to hear the, the opening verses of the passage again. For we know, okay, so do we know this? We know that, 
that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our earthly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. All right, what's going on here? Well, this passage is a, is a link in a chain. Chapters 3 and 4 connect to where we find ourselves here in chapter 5. In chapters 3 and 4, we've seen that as followers of Jesus, we have this glorious new covenant ministry. We've seen the glory of God in the face of Christ. The Spirit is writing God's words on our hearts and enabling us to perceive him and see him by faith. And Paul is explaining that authentic Christian ministry can actually increase afflictions and difficulties. Being a Christian can, can be uh, like continually dying and rising with Christ. We heard about this last week. So weakness and suffering and groaning aren't signs then of God's disapproval, but it's part of not only living in a fallen world, it's also part of following Christ, who is the suffering servant, right? And so we are, as we heard last week, we're like jars of clay with treasure inside. So Justin pointed out last week, that's like saying you're a to-go food container and you got this great food on the inside. And so what's amazing about us isn't the package, it's the treasure of Christ that's inside. And these ordinary packages, they're like clay pots, they're like to-go food containers, they're fragile and they're temporary and they're wasting away. And what comes into view today is they eventually collapse altogether and get tossed aside. Hear, hear the analogy here this morning. Your body is like a leaky tent. Did you get that? This earthly tent, it's, it's not what it might be. It's leaky. It's frayed. It's got some rips in it, and it's eventually going to be destroyed. Now, when I talk about tents, I need to ask, have you ever been camping? Right? Because if you've been camping, I bet you have a tent story, don't you? Right? If you camp, that's just part of the deal. You're going to end up with stories about the tent. So we had, when, when our kids were little, we had, before Kate was born, we had three little boys, Peter, Colin, and Will. We didn't have a lot of money, so we camped. We loved camping. We lived in Southern California where it never rains, of course. And we were told that Malibu, the, the campground there, the best time of year to go there was October. So we camped at Malibu in October. It was amazing. We could see the ocean. It was, it was incredible. We borrowed a tent from some friends. So we get all five of us in the tent. And in the middle of the night, I heard a strange noise. And I open the tent. And I look outside. There's lightning out over the Pacific Ocean. I could hear thunder. It never, you never get thunderstorms in Southern California. Almost never. Well, that thunderstorm eventually rolled in. And, and it rolled above our tent, and I think it parked there. And it began to rain, and then it began to like really rain. And this wasn't a, like, this wasn't a super expensive tent, and it wasn't a tent that was made for a lot of rain. And so there were these kind of two parts to the top, and what would happen was the water would start to sort of fill up the top of the tent, and then it would start to sag. And so I'm in the middle of the night pushing the water off the tent. The boys are sound asleep. They have no, no idea that they're in a weather crisis and that this tent is about to collapse on them. And then eventually, at some point, the, water, the ground got wet, the stakes gave way, and half of the tent, literally, it collapsed. 
The boys are sound asleep. They have no idea what's going on. So in the middle of the night, two in the morning in Malibu, we open up the station wagon. We stuff all the wet stuff into the car. We get the boys in the car. We drive back home. And in the middle of downtown Los Angeles, one of them wakes up and says, Dad, where are we? Like there's buildings all over. That's our tent story. Our tent collapsed. So here's the deal. Your body is a tent. And some of these tents are in better shape than others. Some are bigger and stronger than others. But none of these tents last forever. And the reality is, some of our tents are in bad shape, aren't they? Groaning. In wheelchairs. Cancer. Sighing. Lyme disease. Crohn's. Weighed down, Alzheimer's, allergies, arthritis, you name it. Maybe it's not you, maybe it's somebody near you, somebody that you love. These tents are temporary and they're going to fail. Now, if you're young and fit and you feel immortal, this can be hard to believe. But trust me, trust me, if you live long enough, Sooner or later, you will groan in this tent. Now, what do we hope for when that happens? Verse 4 says, while we're still in this tent, we groan being burdened, weighed down. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Don't you love that? The hope isn't that we could just somehow escape the body. The hope is to put on a better body. The hope that we have in Christ instead of a leaky tent is a building from God. You know, if you go to the store and you buy a tent, you can look at the label and find out where it was made. It was made in Bangladesh. It was made in Thailand. It was made in the United States, wherever it was made. Check the label on that new body that we're going to have, and it will say, made by God, built to last forever. This is the hope we have of a resurrection body, one that never wears out in a recreated universe in the presence of our God. So what happens when you die? And some people think, well, there's nothing, oblivion. Material stuff is all there is. But here we see the confident hope of life after death and life in a body, which is a reminder to say the real you is an embodied you. Your body matters. This is why matters of gender and sexuality are so important to get right because we are made to be embodied souls, embodied people. And this is why Easter is so spectacular. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose in a resurrection body. He rose in a body that does not decay. He rose in a body that never groans. He rose in a way that makes it possible for his people one day to get bodies like that too. And as an aside, this is why Sunday is so spectacular because we meet on Sunday, the first day of the week, not on the seventh day of the week, the Sabbath, as 
Jewish people were meeting previously. We meet on Sunday, the first day of the week. Why? Because it's the day of the resurrection. Because our Lord lives. Because our Lord rose from the dead and lives in a glorified body. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and he is coming back. When he returns, resurrection bodies for all who know and follow him. So this is why we love Sundays and the Lord's Day. So why is it better to leave all this behind and be home with the Lord? Well, there's a resurrection body coming. The best is yet to come. Reason number two, it's to walk by sight. It's to walk by sight. Look at verse six with me, please. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be at home, away from the body, and at home with the Lord. So I want to ask you this morning, which is better, to walk by faith or to walk by sight? Now, of course, you know the answer to that, as it says right here, is it's better to walk by faith, right? Hebrews 11, the saints there are commended for walking by faith. We are justified by faith. Jesus, the, the resurrected Jesus says to Thomas, who, who doesn't believe that he, he really is who he says he is until he can see him in his resurrected state. Jesus says to him, you believed because you've seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That would be believers like us here today. And so we walk by faith and not by sight. To walk by sight now is to live for all that's here and now and temporary and passing away. But walking by faith, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. People think you're crazy to live the way you do. You give away all that money. You're always trying to get people to follow Jesus. You stay celibate when you're not married. You spend time with all those church people. Why, why would you? That's crazy. Why would you do that? Walking by faith is hard, isn't it? Why be sold out to a person that you can't even see or touch? See, to walk by faith is to pin our hopes on Jesus and his kingdom. And as much as we enjoy fellowship with him right now, as much as we know the spirits at work, in us, we still can't see him. We do have the Spirit assuring our hearts, though, that it's true. So which is better, to walk by faith or to walk by sight? Well, I want to tell you that's a trick question because there's actually two right answers to that. Now, it's better to walk by faith. But when we're home with the Lord in his presence, you will not need faith anymore. Think about that. We walk by faith until we walk by sight. Now there's some nuance to this. When we die, we are with him. When we're at home with the body, we're away from the Lord. When we're away from the body, we're at home with the Lord. But if we understand the New Testament's teaching to us about this, we also recognize that when we die, we don't immediately receive that resurrection body. Sort of a two-stage process to it. When Christ returns, the dead are raised and those glorious resurrection bodies are given at that time. So 
we have sort of this two-stage experience. To be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord, but there's sort of this intermediate state. The theologians talk about this temporary experience where you are with him in his presence, but you're waiting to be clothed in that resurrection body. And when the Lord returns, we put on that new clothing of an immortal resurrection body. That's called glorification. But, but the point here is this, whichever of those states you might find yourself in, in his presence... The other side of death waiting for that resurrection body or in that resurrection body, whichever state you find yourself in, the good news is we will be with him. Can you hear that? Can you see that by faith? That will be better than anything you have ever or will ever experience here in this life. What's the happiest you've ever been? Is there a moment, a season you can look to? Maybe you're having it right now. I don't know. But no matter how good it gets in this life, it never lasts, does it? You can't bottle it up and save it. Trouble is always coming. And even in the midst of maybe that most amazing and wonderful experience you could possibly have, sensitive souls remember that no matter how good things are for you, there are people around the world awash in suffering and pain and difficulty, hungry and hurting. There is this restlessness in our hearts here. There is this hunger for something more and something that will not be fundamentally satisfied by a bigger house or better sex or a great vacation because the treasure you were made for is a person. And his name is Jesus. Jesus plus nothing is better than this world plus everything. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him this way? Ask him to open your eyes to these things. See, what makes heaven so great isn't the weather or the food or who you'll get to be reunited with. It's the Lord. That's who makes heaven so great. Jesus clothed himself, the eternal Son of God chose to clothe himself in a leaky tent, just like ours, a body like yours and mine. He chose to die in agony on a cross and then shed that old tent and rise in a resurrection body so that he could lead the way for the rest of us. Was it for sins that I had done, he groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Now, if we really believe this, if we really believe that it's better to leave all this behind to be with him, what difference will it make while we're here, here and now, as God sovereignly, providentially has chosen for us to be here today and for who knows how many more days after this, if we really believe 
that having Christ is better than anything this world has to offer, if we really believe that the best is yet to come, if we really believe there's a resurrection body awaiting us on the other side of death, how will life be different now? How will you live differently on Monday and Thursday next month? Well, let me just point you to two things in the text. First, we can be a people of courage and hope. I love verse six. So we are always of good courage. Verse eight, yes, we are of good courage. Back in chapter four, we read, we do not lose heart. I love this confidence and this courage. If you know these things, if you know the hope of the resurrection body, if you know the joy that awaits you in being with Christ, if you know these things, you will be stabilized in every storm. You will be steadied through the roller coasters of life. You'll always be of good courage. Why fear sickness or injury or death if the other side of all of that is to be with him? It removes the fear of it. Why fear persecution if the worst they can do for us is send us home to be with the Lord that we love, to be ready for a new creation? See, we've got nothing to lose but our mortality and our groaning. And won't it be an amazing moment when what is mortal is swallowed up by life? If you know that's coming for you, you've got an anchor for anything that comes your way. And I'm looking around at an auditorium of people that I've seen living this way. If you don't know what this looks like, you are in a congregation surrounded by people who have and are living this way. Ask around for some help if you want to know and get some help with this. Listen, knowing your future is with the Lord in a new body produces an endless fountain of hope and courage in the midst of the real and, and agonizing groanings of life. We can be a people of courage and hope we really believe this, how will we live differently? Second thing I want to say is this. We'll make it our aim to please him. Look at verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Again, think how countercultural that is. We're not saying we're making it our aim to be as comfortable as possible, right? We're not saying we're making it our aim to please ourselves. The world we live in screams at you to please yourself. Not someone else. Please yourself. That kind of thinking and living is a dead end. We make it our aim to please him. This is what we were made for. Who we were made for. This is where joy unending is found. The spirit empowers us to live this way. The love of Christ controls us to live this way. And if we need another judge, we might remember, we'll all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give account for how we've lived as Christians. I think the judgment that's in view here is probably Christians, that's the people he's writing to. And the idea here is, yes, of course, we're justified by faith, but then we're also called to live lives pleasing to God. And how we live now matters to God. Your decisions have eternal impact and it seems there will be rewards to believers based on how we've lived and so we make it our aim to please him how, how do you do that how do you make it your what does it look like to make it your aim to please him 
well, this isn't a perfect analogy, but this came to mind when I was chewing on this this week. When I was 17, I met a charming and delightful young lady named Leslie Harris. I was captivated by her and I made it my aim to not only please her, but to try to get her to notice me and maybe be pleased by me and want to reciprocate. What happened? I began to hang around a lot. I asked questions. I studied. I listened. What does she love? What kind of music does she like? What kind of movies does she like to go to? What gives her joy? What does she like to do with her time? What does she like to read? What's pleasing to her? What's displeasing to her? If you make it your aim to please God, spend some time with him. Study him. Find out. What does he love? What does he hate? What's important to him? What's, what are his priorities and goals for the world and for your life? And then we bring this into everyday situations. That TV show, maybe you just got a little question. That person that you're considering dating, that thing that you've got in your cart, on your electronic device ready to buy, you just pause and say, is that pleasing to the Lord? Everyday places like that. That person who's so hard to get along with. That politician you resent so deeply. You make it your aim to please the Lord in that situation. And you'll find your way forward in a different way. You think, oh, I want to make it my aim to please the Lord. And he's given me so much. How can I pass the joy of knowing him to other people who are outside of his kingdom, who don't know him? Making it our aim to please him works its way into the everyday corners of our lives. Why is it better to leave all this behind and be home with the Lord? Well, we get resurrection, resurrection bodies waiting for us. We're going to walk by sight. We're going to see the object of our affections, this great King Jesus. So let's make it our aim to please him this week. I want to transition to the Lord's Supper. So if you've got your elements, go ahead and get those ready now. And I'm going to try to get my little special cup peeled here so I can be ready to. Okay. Our passage ends with a reminder that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Judgment seat is like a, a judge's bench. I want you to kind of try to get that in, in mind. As we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper, I want you to think about not that final judgment seat that we'll all appear in front of. I want you to think about a different judgment seat. Jesus appeared before the judgment seat of a Roman governor named Pilate. Pilate had Jesus there, and this judgment seat wasn't enclosed in an inside room like our courtrooms typically are today. This was out in the open, as they typically were then. There was a crowd there, and Pilate had Jesus here with him, and he says to the crowd, Behold your king. And the crowd looked at Jesus and shouted, away with him, away with him, crucify him.
and they did. Jesus, the only sinless, perfect, innocent man in history, was condemned and crucified and died in the place of sinners so we could call on him for forgiveness. One day in the future, it will be Jesus sitting on a judgment seat and Pilate appearing before him and you and me. And when it's our turn, let us plead what we're about to sing. In Christ alone, my hope is found. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That judgment seat holds no fear for Christ's people because at that cross, he canceled the debt of our sins. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Don't you love him? As we receive the bread and the cup, we remember that he was judged and found guilty so we could be judged and declared innocent justified in right standing with God. As we receive the bread and the cup, we remember that he groaned upon that tree so we could have the sure hope of putting on new bodies. In a new creation, with him forever. Isn't that good news? That's what we're remembering. As we receive this bread and this cup, this is a family meal for Christians. If you have repented from your sins and put your faith in Christ, you are welcome to participate in this. You don't have to be a member of our church. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're glad that you're watching, glad that you're here with us. But we ask that you would not participate in this. It just wouldn't be the appropriate thing for you to do. But take this time to consider this Jesus that we've been hearing about today come and follow him. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, until he comes, drink. Let's stand together and let's sing in Christ alone.